Hey everybody, welcome to the Road to Chair series brought to you by the Association of Academic Physiatry. I'm Neil Rakesh and I'll be your host. If you haven't heard this series before, this is a podcast where we sit down with interesting PM&R chairs and we learn about their journey. My guest today is the Chair of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Mayo Clinic, Dr. Carmen Terzik. She has a really interesting story, so let's get right into it. So how about we just start with kind of just where you grew up and, and what things were like? I grew up in Venezuela. Yeah. And I did there my medical school. We don't have the college system like in the United States, so I went to medical school directly from high school. Oh, wow. So I started medical school when I was 16 years old. And uh, it's at seven and a half year, the total time. And then from there, after you finish the medical school, you have to work for a couple of years before being eligible for a fellowship or any other postgraduate program. Is This is the way that, that is done back home because uh, the medical school is free. All, oh. the, all the education in Venezuela used to be free. <laughs> this is the Venezuela that I grew up. Things have changed since then. But uh, it was free, so a way to pay back to the state, to the government, your free education, you had to work a couple of years as a physician, general physician, in uh, either a small community or in a big hospital in the city, public hospital. Right. We had a salary, but, but it was very minimal. And then after two years... I have to decide either to go and do a fellowship or residency program or do research. So at that time, I had a big passion for research. So I decided to go and do a master degree in one of the biggest scientific center in South America that it happened that it was in Venezuela as well. The name was IVIC, right. National Institute for, for Scientific Research. I was there for a couple of years, and during that time, I had the opportunity to meet Dr. David Clapham, who was one of the top scientists in the United States, still is one of the top scientists. Oh, wow. And he went to visit Venezuela to give a lecture. And then we had a nice conversation, and he proposed to do a PhD in his lab at Mayo Clinic. He was working at Mayo Clinic. And at that time, I was already considering to pursue a PhD. We didn't have this combined program, MD-PhD, right. back home. So I talked with him and sent my application to different centers in the United States and even in, in England, Oxford, and I was accepted by all of, all of them, including Mayo Clinic, but Mayo Clinic was number one in my, in my right. list. <laughs> and I went and interviewed and I got accepted into the program. I did four years PhD. I finished exactly in four years. <laughs> and then after that, I worked for a couple of years, one, one and a half year as a fellow, while at the same time I was taking my steps, step one, step two, step three. Oh, we have to take them all again. Yeah. Yes, we have to, we, because we didn't have that back oh, home. That so sense. in order to apply for a residency program in the United States, you have to 
What did you do for your initial residency when you were when you're back in Venezuela? Is there was there specialties? Did you do a general medicine? I didn't do any residency. So I finished in medical school and then and I did the two years of a general physician that you had to do it to pay back to the government your free education. Oh wow. And then I went to do the master's degree and then I came to the United States for the PhD and Oh. the resident program, the residency program. So after I finished my PhD and I applied to different places, and I, including Mayo Clinic, of course, right. <laughs> again, for the residency program, I was accepted and I stayed at Mayo and I did my four years. Uh, actually, I did six-year residency program because I did a combined clinician, clinician investigator residency program. Gotcha. You can do that at Mayo Clinic. It, it extends your fellowship, I mean, your, or your residency, but I was not in a rush. I, I love to study. <laughs> so I, That's a perfect combination. So I did it for six years, and then uh, when I finished, I got, they offered me a position at Mayo, and I stayed there. Was your, so was your initial research, what, what exactly did you focus when you did your PhD? So my PhD was studying the regulation of calcium by skeletal muscle. So working with rhyming receptor, right. so and uh, in some specific condition, including malignant hyperthermia. Gotcha. So I, that's what the, the research. When I came to Mayo Clinic and I did my PhD, I was working again in calcium regulation, but more at the level of nuclear envelope, trying to understand to understand the role of calcium in facilitating transport or regulating transport through the nuclear envelope. At that time, the, um, the idea was the molecules, including DNA, DNA RNA, uh, all transcription factor, were going in and out of the nucleus by um, freely, with a very few level of regulation. Right. And, and that the small molecule were going even without any level of regulation. So during my thesis, we found that this was not the case, that really every single molecule in one way and another way is regulated. Uh, and it makes sense because inside the nucleus is all the genetic material. So you cannot expose the genetic material to, to anything. So we were, our findings were very revolutionary at that time. Right. We were published in science. Uh, which one of the top journals, so we were very happy about that. So that was my, my thesis. How did you get into that? Was this something that you had known very early on that you wanted to get in this field? Was it something that someone had pointed out to you was interesting? How did you discover? The research? Yeah. The, well, that was one of the areas of Dr. Clapham in his lab. Gotcha. Yeah. So when I, and he knew that I had a background and some experience studying calcium regulation, intracellular calcium regulation through my master's degree in uh -huh. Venezuela. So I brought some experience in, oh, that in at that sense. level with some techniques. So it was a perfect match. And then why why after the PhD did you decide that, you know, you wanted to take on more of a clinical route? Was there, was there a reason? Well, I always wanted to do both gotcha. research and, and, and being a clinician investigator. As I mentioned, mentioned before, the MD-PhD program didn't exist back home, so right. you have to do it separately. So I, I, I wanted to do that, and I always wanted to do physical medicine and rehabilitation or sport medicine, 
So related to, or rheumatology, but related to muscle and joint and bone diseases, specifically because I I did a lot of sport when I was uh, young back in Venezuela, competitive sport. What did you play? Fencing. Fencing? I used to be a fencer. (laughs) Not what I expected you were going to say. That's that's very interesting. Very, very beautiful sport. Do you still fence? No, not anymore. (laughs) I stopped when when I came to United States. That's that's fair. But I used to be in the national team. Pretty busy, so I know. (laughs) (laughs) National champion. Yeah, I was to be in the national team in the Venezuelan team, Team Venezuela. Now that they call Team USA, Team Team Venezuela. (laughs) That time we didn't call like that. We say just in the in the national um, team, and so it was. There was a lot of sport, very very competitive, many hours. So I knew that I want to to get into medicine in in an area related to that so and physical medicine rehabilitation was perfect yeah so that's the reason why 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 i wanted to do that and then i did my my residency program at mayo they offered to me a position when i finished it and i stayed and um, after a few years eight years the position for chair in the department was opening yeah and then they they asked me if I want to apply. It was not in my plan at that moment, but <laughs> my husband told me, "Why not? Just go through the whole process." Interview. What was your What was your plan early on? When I mean, obviously, you had this idea that you wanted to. I mean, you wanted to do research. You wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. D- during these eight years, I was able to secure some extramural and intramural grant, including an R01, an Irish yeah. R01. So I had significant part of my time was dedicated to research, so half a half. So yeah. it was a perfect uh, combination for me. So half of the time, research, and the other half doing uh, clinical work. Now that research, then I switched a little bit from skeletal muscle or general cells, calcium regulation, to stem cell. So this was around Ooh, 2000, yeah. and then the boom stem cell came, and the... My husband is a, a researcher as well, and he has a very established lab, and I was working with him at that time. Still, we're working together. So he developed the, the program, stem cell program, and then I was part of that program. So I was doing, during the, my clinic and my post-residency work at Mayo, yeah. As a as a consultant, I was doing research in stem cell in cardiac in ca- cardiac so, tissue because my at that time or still now my one of my clinical interests beside muscle is it's uh, uh, cardiac rehabilitation. So significant part of my clinical time is dedicated to cardiac rehabilitation. So I have a joint appointment with cardiology as well. And that's really interesting. And not a lot of I mean not a lot at least with my time a lot of people are are doing the cardiac rehab. I've I've met quite a few, but it's not something that you know everyone everyone nowadays just talks about sports. Yes, yes, not too too many uh, physicians in in our field What's are dedicated to to cardiac rehabilitation here in the United States. However, if you go to Europe, yeah, many many PMNR physicians are uh, are doing are the chair or leading the cardiac rehab program. The same thing in. South America or yeah. Central America. What's the, if you had to guess, is there a reason why it's so, I mean, there's so many people doing it over there and uh, in, in other countries than, than right here. Why is the boom so great for well, sports? Well, we can spend like 
hours talking about that. It's uh, <laughs> many, many, many issues. The cardiologists here in the United States, they want to protect ah. the patient. They don't want the patient to go and then uh, navigate it to other specialty. At Mayo, I mean, we, I work over there, I'm an yeah. associate director, so we work very close, cardiologist, cardiologist and a physical medicine rehab physician, but, but in other places, the cardiologists are very protective of their patient. And if you go, if you talk about Europe and, and Latin America, the issues is uh, economic. So cardiac rehabilitation is not profitable. Gotcha. So the cardiologists, they are they don't have interest in that area, and they they have an interest in other areas, uh, more profitable in their practice. So the cardiac rehabilitation is left for is abandoning. Actually, it's an area that we at Mayo, together with um, many other physicians in Latin America, are pushing, helping each country. Specifically, we focus in South America. We are helping them to to develop cardiac rehab program in each country. One, we are very proud that in in Paraguay, for example, when we started yeah. this program, there was no cardiac rehabilitation program in Paraguay. Oh, and wow. after we were able to secure funds and bring physicians from Paraguay to Mayo Clinic, they trained in cardiac rehabilitation. They saw how we structured the program. We helped them to to start the program. Now they have uh, two programs in of That's cardiac amazing. rehab in the country from zero to two. Is a, it's it's a big big change. Right, it's no small feat. When you when you were initially in Mayo, obviously you've been in Mayo for quite some time. Did that relationship with cardiology exist, or is it something that that you helped create? Um, well, the relation started when well I was doing some research with my husband. Mm -hmm. And he is a cardiologist, research cardiologist, but he he's now is 100% time in, in research. But also my mentor, he one of his appointments was in cardiology too, my PhD mentor. Oh. So that the relation started. But really when started very strong, strong, it was when I did my rotation as a residency, as a resident, all our residents in PMNR, they do rotation, two weeks to one month rotation at that time, rotation in cardiology. So oh. specifically in the preventive cardiology, cardiac rehabilitation clinic. So when I did my rotation there, I realized that it. I like it. I was doing research in that area, so it makes sense. Yeah. And uh, the individuals, the cardiologists that were working with me, they really were, were very supportive. And they of, they suggest that if I stayed as a staff yeah. at Mayo after my residency program, they will be happy to have me there as a colleague as well. So it, it, it works. I like that. That's it's pretty simple. Um, what, uh, at what point do you, do you start to kind of take on more leadership roles and, and teaching? Are, have, have you been doing this all along uh, while you've been doing a lot of research? Or was there a certain point where you started to say, I want to do something in addition to what I'm doing right now? Well, when I was doing the, when, when I started as, as a staff at Mayo Clinic, then I was doing, as, a, as I mentioned it before, research and clinical work, but also we do a lot of education at Mayo Clinic yeah. with our residents. So we are what we call a three-shield institution. This is our logo, which is clinical research and education, and it's expected that everybody 
who is a staff at Mayo. When I say everybody, even including you know nurses, physical therapists, occupational therapists, but everybody will embrace the three shields in in one or another way. You may have one of the shield being your strong yeah. area, but it's expected that you contribute. You make significant contribution to the other shields. So my role in education was uh, organizing a research course for mm -hmm. our resident. So that's what I did at that time and being sure that they have the research experience that may help them to, to navigate you know, all, all the, the research uh, programs or if they are, were interested in going to an academic career, so they have at least some basis for that. So that was my role in, in education at that time. And then trying to organize also the rotation, uh, improve the rotation in cardiology for our resident. Gotcha. I don't know if you're allowed to do this. Are you allowed to share some of the Mayo secrets that you that you kind of gave to the medical students or the residents? What advice did you give them about getting into research? How did you kind of motivate them to do that? How did you, you know, give them an idea of what to search for and how they knew what they would be interested in? First of all, you need to love research, to want it. <laughs> yes, fair. it's uh, as I as I told. I don't want to discourage anybody, but uh, as I told, uh, have told the resident and everybody, research is a seven days, twenty four hours job. So yeah. some people say, well, I need that you maybe half a day block for my research. It doesn't work. So when I say you have to love it, because you don't see the time. Yeah. You spend three or four or five hours, and then you, wow, you're enjoying. Yeah. And, and I do basic research more. Right. I do some clinical work, but basically my, my bulk of research is, uh, is bench. So I love that. I love being within, with my cells, with my rat and mice. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that. So first of all, you need to love. You need to want to want to do that. And then if you want to do it, just pursue. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful career combining with clinical. I think that having, being a clinician and, and, uh, and doing re a clinician doing research bring you both aspects. So you see the patient, you know what is needed. You know what are the questions that need to be answered to right. help your patient. So, and you have the, the skill, the, the tool and the skill to go either to the bench or to do clinical work to answer those questions. So that, that's the, the, the beauty. And um, if you love it, yes, you do it. Try, if you want to give, give some, uh, receive some training, we have the MSTP program over here. Right. It's wonderful. I mean, Dr. White and Boninger are doing an excellent job. Uh, I am part of this program, but really all the, all the entire credit go to these two individuals that they have such a passion and love for research and education. And they love our specialty and they want to really create the, the researchers of the future. So that is a very good uh, tool that we have here that uh, I encourage if individuals that they want to do research, they want to pursue an academic career, to review, to check on that, talk with us, and uh, and explore, yeah, to see if they they can do that. Now, the each academic institution they have internal program, master degree, or even short courses. 
As I told you at Mayo, we have a research course for our resident. It's expected that every resident will be involved in a research project. They can even start the project or they can jump into a project that is already ongoing oh, in the department, but it's expected that and it's expected to have a publication. Publication that is not a, a case report. They have a case <laughs> report. It's excellent. Of course, of course. And a case report is a good uh, start. I mean, if you want to 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 have the flavor, what it means to write a paper to answer to the reviewer, mm -hmm. because it's a process, an art. So case reports is a is a nice way to do it. People love to read the case report. You learn a lot about that. But if you want to do more research you need really to get involved in a, in a more structured research program or, or a research project that they have a hypothesis, that they have an experimental uh, model that uh, and then to understand how to analyze results, statistical analysis. And, and one important ingredient for a success is the mentor. So you need to find a right mentor when you develop a chemistry it's a mentor that is investing on you. How do you find that mentor? If, if a medical student comes up to you, what do they do? Do they just email every person until one I think that the, 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 if they're a medical student, they should talk with their dean. And I'm so sure in their institution, the dean will have a list of, of individuals that could be a, a good mentor. And depend on the area, because we forgot to mention that, that yeah. uh, you need to develop a passion for, for an area, area of interest. Of course. And, or if you have several, just to explore, talk with in the individuals, and until when you find what re you really want to do, what area, then you try, you talk with the dean, and then you try to identify together with the dean, if they are medical student or your program director, if you are in a residency program, to identify what are the mentors. That, uh, that have uh, skill or experience in your area of interest. And, and then meet with them and talk with them and talk with other people that have been, that are either working or have been in the past working with this individual right. and have the flavor, how the dynamic in the lab it is and how it is to work with this individual. And also, is, is if this individual has the desire to to mentor, to teach you, to invest, to it invest on you and educate you. Of course, and that applies to everyone. I mean, even as yeah. a resident, as, oh, yeah. as a as a fellow, all those things yes. still apply. Yes. Uh, but it's very interesting. And don't be afraid if it doesn't work. Well, look for another another mentor. But find your niche, find a good mentor, and then develop. The, the program and I love it. I like it. That sounds sounds very simple. I I like to end these just because it's kind of mm -hmm. it's what we call it the road to chair series. Um, do you have any advice for uh, people that are interested in becoming program directors or chairs? How do they go about doing that? Is it something you sought after, or is it something that you kind of fell into? I I, I thought about this after. Yeah. I, I I initially I I saw myself as developing a career in, in research, strong research, clinical investigator. Maybe I, I saw myself having some leadership role within research, in research, in the research part of the uh, program Mayo Clinic or outside Mayo at NIH level. And, but then later, later on, I start to realize or, or to like it 
administrative leadership role, and then came, as I say, this opportunity at Mayo Clinic. And I, I have, I want to mention that at Mayo, all the leadership role, including CEO, are rotating. Is between eight to ten year rotation. So wow. there's a time frame, which is excellent because it gives opportunities to other individuals to step uh, in, in those roles. It so, also gives you a perspective on the various arms of, uh, of Mayo Clinic, I assume, as well. Yeah. So, for example, the moment that I became a chair, I had to start to prepare the next chair. And oh. I, it's not that I pick it up, but I, I, as I meet annually with my staff, so I have the flavor based of our conversation in our annual review, who was interested on, on, on leadership role or chairs, chair role. And then create a pool of individual that we train it. At that time, when I, I, I started at Mayo, we didn't have that approach. This, this uh, was developed by the institution in the last 10 years. 10 years, they want to invest in, in developing leadership within our staff. So there's uh, many, many tools within Mayo, and of course, outside Mayo, courses, classes, um, mentor, mentorship that I took advantage advantage in and I out of the pool of individual that I have as a possible individual that they are interested and they can be a possible chair, a chair my successor so we are training them allowing them to participate in all these different classes and activities and giving giving to them some leadership role within the de the department as well. Oh, it's really so that's the way to create the, the next generation of, of leader. Here in the AP, we, uh, we have also the leadership yeah. program, which is great too. I have had the opportunity to be invited to give some perspective as a chair of issues that we need to, to, to deal and to work. And uh, it had to be wonderful. So this is, again, another tool that um, whoever has this interest should take advantage. advantage and this is specifically that. the PALS program that you're mm -hmm. mentioning. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm so sure that each academic institution, one way or another, they must have internal programs to support and to train. If not, there's many, many programs outside, I mean, all over the United States, basically... Each university have a leadership program or business program right. that individuals can participate in. Some of them, this MBA program is a one or two year, but you can do even you can do it online. But if not, they have short courses, one or two week courses. And if you have the support of your chair or leaders in the institution where you are, right. well, they should. They should allow you to, <laughs> to go and participate in those programs. And at Mayo, we are very fortunate that we have those support. Let's say if an individual come to me and say, look, I would like to, to participate in these courses. Harvard, Harvard yeah. have, have many of short term in that area. We make all the efforts to allow this individual, not only giving the time, but some resources to, to go there. So we have done that. We have now one of our staff, for example, is pursuing MBA in education. Oh. I don't think they call MBA. M, Master in Education. Master in Education, yeah. okay. So she, and we are giving her support on time and also support to cover part of their expenses and fee. 
So because awesome. this is her her interest, she would like to be uh, the way that she sees herself is a program director, but not only at the level of the department, even go at the level of our medical school at Mayo, our level of the, edu the big education program, leadership roles in those areas, and we are supported. That's, I mean, that's definitely, it sounds like you should look for mentors that can also help you with the leadership uh, roles as well, because it seems like you're, you're doing a lot to help train the next generation of leaders. I, I tried this. <laughs> Probably I could do better, but uh, we are, I think that using internal resources, we, and also some of our organization, resources from our organization, we have been able to to define, not only defining the individual, but created some programs for each of them based on their interests to allow them to develop, develop in that area. Gotcha. I think that was our, our 30 minutes. That was pretty fast. Oh, is, yes, it went fast. <laughs> is there any, any other parting wisdom you want to give to our listeners? Or I mean, you've given us a lot already. So, <laughs> Well, first of all, this is a wonderful specialty, physical medicine rehabilitation. I think that individuals that come to this specialty are special individuals. We don't care about an organ. We care about whole human being. An individual, not only as a human, but an individual that play a role in the society, in the family. And our role is to help this individual to come back and be able to work in his or her roles and improve their quality of life. So this doesn't exist in any other specialty in medicine. So we are unique in that regard. Definitely so true. unique person. And then... The majority, if I would say almost everybody in this specialty, have a pa passion for that. And if you have a passion for your specialty, clinical or research or education work or world, just pursue it. Just pursue it. And uh, talk with your either your chair, either your supervisor, or whoever. If you are in the medical school, your dean, and you are in the residency program, your director and discuss what are your pa passion. And uh, I'm so sure that each of them will be happy to help you to pursue that. I like it. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming to sit down and talk with me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, ladies and gents. If you're itching for more podcasts, you can find them under the Association of Academic Physiatry in the podcast app. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to see all the other awesome stuff that we're doing.